pray with me? Father, oh, Father, we want more of you. Um, would you do a work in this place tonight? Um, not in the walls of this room, not in this church on Birchman, but would you do a work in our lives tonight? Uh, would we be people who pray and beg and bother you with this request that you would do more and more and more in our life? Um, Lord, we need you. Would you transform us? Um, God, thank you for loving us the way you do. Thank you that we can be a room full of sinners, a room full of people who are undeserving of our Father's love and yet have it in abundance over our life. Uh, we are grateful for that. Um, be mighty tonight. Speak through your word. Uh, use us, Lord. Get the band, get me out of the way, and Holy Spirit, challenge us, uh, change us, renovate us, transform us, uh, make us look more like you for your glory, that this place would be a flavor of the kingdom of God, that it would smell like the kingdom of God, that it would um, have, have your presence here in a way that is contagious and uh, ruins us for anything less. Thank you, Father. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Hey, you guys have a seat. <clears throat> Good evening. We are going to do things a little differently tonight, uh, making some tweaks. So if you are new, then you showed up on a night, man, where things are going to be a little different. Um, we, uh, we're glad you're here. If you're new, we are, are really, really thankful you're here. Um, and I don't think it's an accident that you're here. If you're here and like, oh, wait, tonight's the night that it's different. I think, I think God has you here for a reason. Um, and for the rest of us, man, our, our prayer is just that. It's that God would transform us and, and change us tonight. Um, so that's where we're going. Um, we're going to be in, in Luke 18. Uh, that's where we're jumping into. And the reason that we're kind of changing things up is because Luke 18 is a passage all about how we approach God. And so as we were wrestling through this this week, uh, the thought was... Man, let's see what the Word of God has to say about how we approach Him, and then let's respond and have a longer runway, man. If you guys are like me, then uh, a lot of times I need a longer runway to respond and to approach God. Uh, and so often I think our worship services, they kind, of, you know, they kind of fit this mold, and so we thought, man, let's just open up the Word of God right out of the way, right out the gate, and then, uh, and then end in just 30 minutes of of being able to worship and respond. And man, if that 30 minutes for you spills into an hour or two hours or whatever that looks like, we're not going to kick you out. Um, the alarm gets set in this building at 1230, uh, just so you know. But if I got to talk to some cop about you because you're in here still praying at 1230, then uh, it's, we're more than willing to do that. Uh, so Luke 18 is where we are. Uh, here, here's the thing. As you're flipping there, uh, I feel weary, if I'm just really transparent with you guys. Uh, I feel weary it just in, in my soul, in my, in my spirit. There's, uh, this is just a season in ministry and in life. Uh, my incredible wife is, is pregnant, which is awesome. Uh, so yeah, there can be a whoop for that. Uh, I, did, I did that. Um, <laughs> um, my, my incredible wife, I'll explain that later if you want to stick around afterwards. Uh, we can walk through the, how that works biologically. Um, 
so my wife is pregnant. So man, I know she's weary. Uh, she's queasy every day, and uh, we have two and a half year old, and she's nauseous and heartburn and all the amazing gifts that come along with pregnancy. And so uh, I, I sense it, man. And so I just felt like I want to get up here and I want to be transparent as a leader um, over you guys that I'm weary. And here's the here's the kick in the butt for me is I know where to find rest. As a pastor, as a Bible college student, as a a man who desires to walk with God, I know where I find rest. And yet I don't go there. Uh, I I would also say, man, there's some parts in my soul right now, in my heart, that uh, I feel frustrated. There is some anger and some frustration. And yet I know where to find peace. And yet I don't go there. And there is some hurt in my life right now. That There's some hurt and some, some betrayal in some ways. And I know... I know where I can find healing, but I don't go there. And so as I'm preparing all week on Luke 18 and how we approach God, I'm just convicted with this overwhelming thought and, and the Lord telling me, Ben, my word says this here, how to come to me, how I want you to approach the posture, the consistency. I am that healing and that peace and that I am those, that life. And yet I don't go to him. Uh, and so that is our hope and our prayer for tonight. So if you are in this room and you are weary, and you are in this room and you are frustrated, you are confused, you are angry, you are bored, um, you are in want, you are lonely, man, we have a high priest, we have a king, we have a father who we are called to approach. And so that is what tonight is going to happen. That's where we're going. And that is what I pray the Holy Spirit stirs in your heart and uh, takes you to that God. So. Luke 18. <clears throat> Man, I, am, uh, I really am praying that you don't miss it. Um, my hope is really that you would be brought to that attention in the Holy Spirit. So let's, uh, let's read this <clears throat> over ourselves. Here's what Jesus says in verse 1. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? So stop right there. Uh, Right off the bat, we see where this is going, right? Uh, Luke lays out for us the purpose of this parable, right? He says it's to show us how to pray. It's to show us how to pray and not lose heart. Verse 1. He, he, this parable was to the effect that they ought to always to pray and not lose heart. So then what happens? He tells a story. You've got this judge, this king, this ruler who is self-described as, I don't care about God, I don't care about people, I'm a jerk. And yet here comes into this picture this widow. And she is hurting. And she is in pain. And there is injustice in her life. And she comes to that judge and comes to that judge and says, Please give me justice. Give me justice. Give me justice. Give me healing. Give me justice. Give me justice. Over and over. And the king says, golly, like I don't care about people. 
I don't even care about God. I don't respect people. And yet I'm going to give this woman justice simply because she keeps pestering and bothering and being persistent with her cry before me. And then the Lord says, that's an unjust king. That is a a wicked king. How much more would our God respond to us? What's the point? What's the point of this parable? Jesus lays it right out there for us. The point that Jesus is trying to get across to his people is he's trying to say, be persistent. Persist. Come. Plea. Be persistent. Bother me. Pester me. Persist. Pray. Our God is not just giving us a suggestion to pray in Luke 18. He's giving us a commandment to be persistent in how we come after him. Uh, I have a dog named Desi. Uh, Desi and I get along okay. Desi and my wife have kind of a love-hate thing. Um, she, my wife hates the dog. Uh, no, she doesn't. She loves Desi. They cuddle sometimes. Um, but Desi, um, I, I care about Desi. She's, she's my dog. Let me tell you what I don't want to do, though. I do not want to feed my dog at 4 a.m. in the morning. That's not what I want to do. There's no part of me that's like, man, goals for 2016. I want to start feeding Desi at 4 a.m. That just doesn't exist. And yet, for the last month of my life, for some reason, something biologically, some switch got flipped or something happened where every night, like clockwork at 4 a.m., Desi starts crying out, howling, begging, bothering, persisting me to feed her. And I can feed her at like 1030 at night. Right? And like normally she eats like dinner time, like normal dogs eat dinner time at seven or whatever, whenever normal dogs go out and eat. Um, but, but, and I'll feed her at 10. I'll feed her like before I go to bed just to be like, okay, make sure she's got a full belly. And there's something in her right now that at 4 a.m., it's like a light switch. She's like, oh, it's 4 a.m. I gotta howl and bark and cry and scream. And, and obviously, I know how to train a dog, right? Like she's six years old. We've, bu- we've been, went through this when she was a puppy. I could retrain her, but I have a pregnant wife and I have a two and a half year old sleeping in the other room. So I don't want to train her. I want to just meet her needs and just give her her food. And so she'll stop. And so we got this now pattern where 4 a.m. every night, there goes Desi. I'm up scooping out the food and putting it in her dish. And it sucks. (laughs) How much better is our God? How much better is your heavenly father? How much more does your God, the sustainer of all life, the one who knit you together in your mother's womb, how much more does your Abba Father care about you than I care about this dog, than this mean judge cares about a widow? Jesus tells the story to command us, pray, pray, bother, bother me. Persist with your prayers. Come to me. Come to me. Keep coming to me. Ask, ask, ask. So what do we take before our king? Uh, What is it that we are going to take before our king that we're going to ask for? Uh, I want to walk us through a few questions and a few hurdles to clear. Let me say one thing that I don't think this verse is saying. I don't think this verse is a tool for a prosperity preacher to get up and say, man, have positive thoughts, beg and beg and beg and beg to win the lottery, and God's going to do it. Just keep praying and keep... I, my hope for you genuinely and the, the leadership of this church, our hope for you is that God would protect you from ever winning the lottery. Um, that God would protect you from ever 
uh, being that tempted to fall in love with things that are going to rot and fade away. Uh, and my own wicked heart, even though God, I totally bought one of those. Like whenever the lottery was like $19 billion, I was like, I don't believe in this, but okay. I'll do, the, I'll do this once. And I'm going to give like 50 bucks to Tyler and like 50 bucks to Josh. At least. Um, Man, would God protect us from those things, right? Like if somebody, if you see somebody on television, right, start talking through like, man, you just need to keep asking, asking, asking for material blessings. God, would the Lord please protect us from those lies, that wealth. Not to say God um, wouldn't want us to make some ends meet. To provide financially in some ways, to bless you financially in some ways, to, to give you a promotion, to expand your influence at work, to uh, give you a raise and a blessing for good stewardship. Not to say that God uh, doesn't care about those things and wouldn't want to help you meet uh, some of those needs, but um, certainly don't let false teachers go there with this. So what are we to bring to him? We're to bring our anxieties. We're to bring our anxieties to this king and this judge, right? Uh, be anxious about nothing, but with everything, with prayer and petition, take those requests before the Lord. So our anxieties we take to this God and this king. Uh, we take our anger. We see Moses get mad at God and, and get angry and frustrated at God's call. We see Job in, in the Old Testament be a man who is angry and frustrated and confused at God and stands before the God of the universe and says, what the heck? What are you doing with my life? What are you doing with all this suffering in my life? And takes his anger to God. Uh, We see Jeremiah do it. We see all throughout scripture, godly men taking their frustration and anger before this judge and saying, Lord, deal with this. And our God can handle that. Our God can handle. Our God is big enough to be able to handle our frustrations. And he says, bring it to me. Bring that to me. He's not going to let us stay there. But he will take that. Our confusion, our our needs, we take to him. Our hurts, we take to him. Our wants, our very will. We say, Lord, give me the desires of my heart, Lord. Would you craft my will? Would you craft my desires the way you want them to be? Everything that is heavy on your heart tonight. Everything that is keeping you up. Everything that is frustrating you. Everything... The Lord says, bring that to me persistently. Bring it to me. Lay it at my feet. Beg for healing on that. Beg for clarity on that. Beg for freedom from that. We bring everything. Um, and I'm reminded of Hebrews 4.15. It says, it says this. Um, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. We don't have a God that's like, oh, what? He's frustrated about that again? But we have one who in every aspect has been tempted as we are, referring to Jesus, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we would receive mercy and find grace in time of need. That is the God that we're bringing to. If our prayer life is, um, is based around mealtimes and times of stress, then we are missing communion with the Lord. If our prayer life is built around a few family meals and some, some ritualistic routine in our life that we kind of build in there, or when things get really rough, and, then we are missing communion with God. If, if I only talked to my wife during mealtimes, I'd be missing out on a relationship that God designed to be in community. Okay, here's another hurdle I want us to talk, talk through real quick before we move on to this next section. What to bring 
everything. When to bring it constantly. But what about the hurdle? Maybe this is just me. What about for me the hurdle of um, a sovereign God? So a God who is in control of everything. Uh, a God who holds all together. He is in the heavens. He does what he pleases. Uh, why pray? Right? Like the intellectual hurdle for me at times. The, the bad theology that kind of pings around in my brain that says, man, if God is all-powerful, if God knows what's going on, if God has preordained and predestined and is in control and knows what's going to happen and has designed everything, why do I need to pray? For me, I wrestle with that all the time. There's constant times where I use bad theology and not being able to answer that question adequately to create apathy in my prayer life and remove myself from prayer. So why do we pray to a God that is in control of everything and is sovereign over everything? A few things. One, because we're told to. Uh, Because we're told to. We are told time and time again, and I can get you guys scripture drunk by just reading off a whole bunch of verses. Romans 12, 12, Ephesians 6, 18, Philippians 4, 6, which I referred to earlier. Um, Colossians 4, 2, devote yourself with prayer, being watchful and thankful. Um, over and over and over and over again in, in this book, Old Testament, New Testament, we're commanded to pray. Even, get, get this, so Jesus in Matthew 9, I believe, stands before a crowd of people, a huge crowd of people that are following him, and he stands up there before him, and he says over this huge crowd, the harvest is plentiful. The harvest is plentiful. Pray to the God of the harvest that he would send more workers. Jesus says that. Like that that's weird. Right? Jesus Christ, God incarnate, looks over the people and says, man, there is a lot of work to be done. Pray to the God of the harvest, me, to send more workers. He is asking and commanding and telling his people, pray to me. He gives us this command to go and pray. Like, But wait, God, you're the, why would you know better than I know what needs to be done? You're the one telling me that there is a need. He commands us to pray. And all throughout scripture, he uses prayer. He uses our prayer. We pray because we're told to. We pray because it changes us. We pray because that's what Jesus did. But we see in Scripture time and time again that prayer is a means God uses to change lives, things, countries, churches, organizations, leaders. Prayer is a means God uses to bring about change. There are things... I firmly believe this, theologically accurately. There are things that God will not do because we did not pray. That's weighty on us. That, that, should, spur, that should spur urgency in our prayer life. Uh, John Piper, he's a stud. Uh, you should Google him. Specifically, if this is an issue that's like, man, I want to really, that, that question I still wrestle with. God's sovereign. Why do I need to pray? He's going to do what he wants to do. Why do I need to pray? Man, Talk to old Pastor John about this. Because uh, you will not find, at least alive right now, a, a man who is higher on God's sovereignty than, than John Piper. So John Piper is a pastor who has an incredibly high theological view of how powerful God is over all things. At the same time, he is a pastor, I would say, that has one of the richest, deepest, most impactful Prayer life and ministry and his belief in the power of prayer is so rich and deep and urgent. And yet he believes this 
God is in the heavens. He does what he wants. But he has this amazing prayer life. And he, he has this illustration that I'm going to steal and probably butcher. Uh, yeah, I'm going to butcher it. Um, the idea of a nail, right? Uh, the idea of a nail and a piece of wood. Um, and, and you have a nail and, and it's, it's in the wood. And it's God's will that that nail would be in that wood. Right? Flush into the wood. And that is God's determined will for that nail. And so we could look at that, and maybe I have that theological understanding. Well, it's God's purpose that that nail is going to go, and so we just look at it. Go. Right? It's like it's not happening, right? And it's not, it's not going. We say, well, go. And we don't pick up a hammer and nail that nail. And yet it was God's will. The hammer is a means to that end. A carpenter, right? Somebody who's in the process of maybe renovating, if we, if we could use that term. I know it's, it's a new term for you guys. This idea of renovation, right? The idea that maybe there needs to be change in someone's life, or we'll just stick with house because that's you know way way safer. We don't have to punch any buttons and, and touch any anywhere. But let's say you want to renovate and say, okay, well, there's some things that need to change in that. Okay, well, God, just do that. Right, well, God's going to change me. He's going to change this house, right? If that illustration can connect. He's going to do that change. So why do I need to? God uses that hammer as a means. God tells us in scripture, he uses prayer as a means to accomplish that. We're commanded to. He uses prayer. This incredibly powerful God still says, yes, I am in control, but I am putting prayer here as a hammer to be used. Pick it up and use it. Pray for the salvation of people. That is the means that I will save them. So pray. Jesus stands before a crowd of people. Pray that more workers might come. He is telling us that is a means. And if we are missing out on prayer, we are missing out on change, on transformation, on God is using that. If you want to dig into that incredibly rich theological position, I'd love to talk to you more. love for you to dig into more resources. Um, but I didn't want to fly by what I think is a, an intellectual stumbling block for a lot of people in prayer. Certainly it is for me. Like, yeah, I don't really pray because I think God's got it. Man, how much would I miss out? How much would I miss out if I submit to that bad theology? How much would my shallow logic of trying to figure that out, to try to wrap my logical brain around this God, would I miss out on not obeying his word, not seeing that he uses prayer as that means? Okay, so we pray. All right, we pray commanded approach our king with everything we do it persistently do we believe in the power of prayer and if you're in here and you're like yes good good bible lesson on prayer so far i would agree with this how is your prayer life yeah i agree prayer is an important thing how is your prayer life what does your prayer life look like right now because if you are praying constantly then yes you believe this but if you say yeah you're nodding in your in your head and in your heart i affirm this but you're not on your knees and you're not begging for prayer and you're not spending car rides in prayer and you're not in constant communication and conversation with the lord the the father the creator then i would i would challenge do we really believe that do it persistently do it without ceasing um, yeah, this is so convicting for me. Uh, this is so convicting for, for me um, because this is me, right? I stand before you guys, a, a pastor who um, absolutely struggles with this idea. I know theologically, right? Like, I get it. 
And yet it doesn't happen. And there has to be change in my life. My wife and I were, and I was tucking her in last night, talking about just change that needs to happen. Prayer that needs to happen that's not taking place. Dryness that's not getting water because I'm not approaching the source. This ministry, man, God has been doing incredible stuff in this thing. And, and it is bathed in prayer. And there are people behind the scenes that you don't know. And if you're one of those prayer warriors, praise God for you. That is the means that is creating this ministry change. A couple weeks ago, a girl gave her life to Christ because the Holy Spirit stirred her on a Wednesday night. Uh, more and more people keep showing up on Wednesday nights. And, and God is doing something crazy in this city and in this community. And a bunch of new people who have no clue who you are, but I love you. I don't know you, but I'm glad you're here. <clears throat> but man, we got to bathe this thing in more prayer. we got to bathe our lives in more prayer. So... Um, as, as I've been preparing, and specifically in the last 36 hours of this sermon, I talked to Tyler about it a little, things have to change even within this ministry. And I don't know what that looks like. right? I'm not going to give you a, a play-by-play. Um, but we've got to change. We've got to make prayer more the forefront of this thing. And so as a leadership uh, group, tomorrow I know we're going to meet. We meet every Thursday for a couple of hours and just walk through, okay, what did God do last night? What's he doing next week? And um, we're going to bring that up and say, man, how can we... Walk the walk in this way more and more and more. Uh, I rely so much on thinking I can do it, and Casey, and we, we're just, oh, well, we're just, we'll get up there and we'll use our gifts, and yes, but God, this has to, be, has to be bathed in prayer. In your life, your life has to be bathed in prayer. Or you're you're going to miss out. So go, pray, pray, pray. Okay, what, what's this next final, second, the second aspect and the last aspect I'm going to comment on t- tonight? The second aspect that we're commanded of how to approach God is this. Look at verse 9, 9 through 14. Here's what Jesus says. He says, He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humble but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Man, what have you heard from the word of God tonight? What have you heard from the word of God tonight? Pray persistently, bother our God, and then hear what is your posture as you approach God. We approach him persistently, and we approach him with humility. Jesus lays out this incredible picture, right? He, he, he pigeonholes a, a Pharisee who would have been just this religious just stud, Right, did all the right things, was this just religious, just mastermind, had it all down, memorized scripture, just his life looked really great on the outside, and then a tax collector. If you weren't here a couple weeks ago, Josh walked through, I thought really well what a tax collector was in this society, and essentially we can just sum it up to the lowest of the low. Right, like this guy who everybody who heard this story was like, Oh my gosh, a tax collector, no way, that guy sucks. Right? That's what everyone would have heard. And so he 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 juxtaposition this, this Pharisee who is righteous. And what is his prayer? 
God, thank you. Thank you, God, that I am not like these idiots. Right? Thank you that I'm not like these extortioners and, and like all these other people. Praise you, God, that, man, that I fast so much, that I'm so good looking. My breath is incredible. My hair parts instantly. Thank you, God. Man, I'm awesome. Praise God that I'm not like that guy. And then what's this guy? What's it say? Gosh, this is good. The tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. God, I need you. I'm so far from you. I'm broken. I'm hurting. I've been places I'm not supposed to be. I've betrayed you. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus says, that guy was justified. That's radical. That should rock our worlds. To the... To the, to the Brother or sister, the man or woman in this room who says, man, I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing pretty good in this whole Christian thing. I'm showing up to Wednesday night renovate. That's bonus points, right? Because I'm going somewhere on Sunday, but I'm also doing the Wednesday night thing and getting free food. And this is great. God, thank you, God, for making me. I know that's not really your heart, but I think that there's this element in all of us, especially those who have a testimony who have a testimony, a story that God has said that maybe he's protected us from a lot of stuff. Maybe we've been doing pretty well. And maybe self-righteousness has creeped in there. And maybe we don't have that kind of humble posture anymore. And maybe one of the biggest traps is comparison. You find me a sinner in this room, and I can find you a worse one somewhere that would make you feel better about yourself. Right, there's going to be somebody, if we can't find, we'll just say Hitler, right? Like, did you murder millions of Jews? Okay, well, then you got Hitler beat, right? We can, we can find a way. And so if we play the comparison game all day long, if we buy into some weird, bogus gospel that has something to do with a balanced scale, well, I'm, I'm doing pretty good, and, and my standard for doing good is looking around horizontally and seeing how my friends are doing. Or, well, if you knew the family I came from and all the baggage they've got, like, I'm up here compared to them, so I think I'm doing pretty good. Or, what a lie from the enemy, keeping us from that correct, humble posture. Lord, I am a sinner. God, I need you. I am far from, without your grace, I have nothing. I am nothing without your grace. We are saved. Those in this room who are saved, who have put their faith in Christ Jesus. You are saved by grace through faith. His good kindness that while you were yet a sinner, he stepped into that brokenness and said, that's my boy. That's my girl. And called you and said, here's the way. You are far. You are far off. The chasm between a holy, righteous, perfect, worthy God and us is great. The penalty for that chasm is hell. Separation from God eternally. And all of us are born into that. And all of us, no matter how hard we doggy paddle to try to, to try to swim through that chasm, are not getting it. And yet the gospel of Jesus Christ shows up and says, yeah, but that's my boy. And for the glory of myself, God, 
for my name and for my love for these people, I'm going to redeem and I'm going to save and I'm going to pay that penalty. And I'm going to send the one who is perfect, the one who is without blemish, without spot, the one who has not betrayed, I'm going to send my only begotten son. I'm going to incarnate into the person of the Trinity, will show up, the second person of the Trinity will show up in this world, and he's going to humble himself and walk and hurt and feel and cry and weep and sleep with, be exhausted, and he, he is going to live in this broken world. He's going to sleep on a bed like anyone else, and he's going to eat food, and he's going to have a hurt stomach. He's going to, and yet this God who is fully man and fully God is going to then one day carry this cross, and he's going to get whipped almost to the point of death, and he's going to hang on this cross. And that is the love of our God. And that is the posture and the ability for us to approach him. That we would have humility and say, God, I didn't earn this thing. I didn't win you over. My sin that I committed in the last week is not too great for you. Because that's the truth about you. The truth about you is you're a sinner. The truth about God is that he loves you despite your sin. The truth about God is that he showed up to pay for that sin. And so then if you have surrendered to Christ... If you have put your faith in him, well, then the truth about you is that you are made white as snow and you are made a new creation and you have a new identity as a son and a daughter and a co-heir with Jesus Christ. And you have this new identity where you can then be confident. I, let me read Hebrews ten nineteen over you. Um, listen, listen to this confidence that we have. Therefore, brothers, Hebrews ten nineteen says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus... Since we have that confidence, by the new and living way that he opened up for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, the death of Jesus is what it's referring to. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Man, we are here worshiping and celebrating a faithful God. Uh, we are here worshiping and celebrating a God who desires change and renovation in your life. Transformation in your life. Uh, and he has made a way for us to be able to approach him. And so what we're going to do is the band's going to come back on up. And uh, I'm going to pray for us. And then we're going to use the rest of the night to just approach him. Uh, the rest of this night, um, the next 20, 25 minutes of just organized worship, they're going to they're gonna worship over us. And you approach God how you feel like the Holy Spirit in you is raising up to approach the Lord. So if that's standing and worshiping at the top of your lungs and you're out of key and that's giving glory to God, then praise God. If that's sitting and journaling, if that's going in the back, if that's pulling aside a friend or a staff member or a leader in your life and saying, will you pray over me? Can I confess something? Can I, can I seek reconciliation with somebody in this room? And it's you being able to 
to do business with God tonight and what that looks like because he has called us to persistently come to us. To the friend you have that's sick and hurting in a hospital and it doesn't seem like there's hope for them. For the family member who is far from God, who is on a trajectory to spend eternity away from God. For the city that is dying and believes lies to a country that is insane. Insane in the wells that we keep going to to drink from that are not filling us up. To the people we care about, to the hurt in your life, to the abuse that's happened, to the frustration, to the anger, to the confusion, persistently tonight, go to God, beg, bother, Lord, heal, Lord, show me, Lord, reveal, Lord, save, go to God tonight. And then when when we're done worshiping, stay in here as long as you want. And then when we're done with that and you go home, Keep worshiping, keep praying, keep persisting. And then tomorrow morning when you wake up, go back to that throne and go back to that source. God, this is so convicting for me. It should be convicting for us. Why do we not go to that source? Return time and time and time and time and time again. He wants you there. He wants to meet you there. He will be there. Let me pray over you. Father, we love you. You loved us first. You loved us perfectly. Show up in this place, Lord. Show up in this place being our hearts. God, for those who know you, stir our our hardened hearts. Remind us who you are. Remind us who we are. Humble us to our knees by the gospel. That we didn't earn this, and so that's not by our standing that we keep this intimacy with you. Would we be people of prayer? Would we be people of constant communion and communication with the God of the universe who commands us to draw near? We love you. We love you. Thank you. In Jesus' name.